This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio. I'm joined now on the line by Ashley Lockerbie, who's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Better Booch. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, first things first, I'm going to point our listeners to your website. It's betterbooch.com, and we spell booch B-O-O-C-H. So better B-O-O-C-H.com. All right, Mm -hmm. Ashley, give us the elevator pitch for Better Booch. Yeah, so Better Booch is a craft kombucha that is expertly brewed at our brewery here in downtown Los Angeles by a microbiologist, a chemist, and a chef. And we believe that good health should be accessible to everybody, which is why we've worked for years to create a line of kombucha flavored with teas, herbs, and botanicals that taste as amazing as it makes you feel. Wow, that's really cool. So so I got at, at Christmas, I got this big glass jar from my son, uh, and he said, uh, okay, Dad, this is your kombucha kit, and it's got this thing called a SCOBY in it, uh, mm-hmm. and... Uh, but that's as far as I got, so I haven't opened it yet. What? Tell us what kombucha is. Yeah, so kombucha has been brewed and served in the home for centuries all over the world. And everybody kind of knows about the probiotics in kombucha and why those are beneficial. Um, but that's not even the most exciting thing about it. So kombucha is a fermented tea, first and foremost. It's tea, sugar, water, and the kombucha culture, which is a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. And um, there's actually, uh, there's so many other great health benefits besides just the, the probiotics that are in the brew. Um, the, there's a Cornell study that shows that the yeast in kombucha actually helps to jumpstart dead cells. And dead cells are just cells that are no longer producing proteins. Um, there's also L-theanine from the tea in the kombucha, which is, gives you like a calm sense of an alertness. And there's also beneficial acids like acetic and glucaric acids. So all around, super good for you. Um, great fermented beverage. Yeah. So let's just uh, maybe at one level deeper in the science. The mm-hmm. So tea, tea is essentially uh, uh, typically a tea leaf that is then in, it infuses water and imparts flavor. And then yeah. there's some sugar and then i understand that the the yeast would then digest the sugar and produce what carbon dioxide and alcohol is that what what it produces that's right that's right and the reason where the symbiotic culture comes in is that um the kombucha culture is uh both yeast and bacteria probiotics Mm. so those probiotics then convert the alcohol into the beneficial acids acetic glucaric being the couple of main ones. All right. And then what's, I I remember when kombucha first became popular in the U.S., I don't know, five years so ago, there was a controversy around alcohol content. Maybe Mm -hmm. you can just speak, address that head on. What are, what are the issues around uh, managing the alcohol content? Yeah. So, um, Kombucha has only been brewed commercially for about 20 years, whereas the brew, the beer or the wine industry has been around for centuries. Mm-hmm. And um, so as far as like the information out there for brewers, um, there's not a whole lot still. We're still kind of in the very beginning stages. And um, so the issue around um, alcohol content is that when you are fermenting, um, 
anything, um, especially sugar um, into tea, one of the byproducts is alcohol. And if you, the more sugar you add, the more alcohol you produce because the yeast is consuming the sugar and converting it into alcohol. And when you um, have people who are brewing it at home or people who are brewing it kind of newly and um, sharing it with the public and they don't really know um, what kind of like safeguards to put in place, um, then you're running into alcohol issues. You're running Mm -hmm. into typically um, the, the like, most common level for kombucha that is available in the stores, unfortunately, is between 1% and 3% alcohol. Oh, um, no we kidding. Know because we've tested it. Yeah. Um, when an alcoholic beverage is, by definition, below 0.5% alcohol mm. by volume. So as you can imagine, that, comes, uh, that presents some problems. Yeah, so let me just make sure I understand that. I mean, it, it, it's, of course, both problem and opportunity because it's a relatively Absolutely. low alcohol um, <clears throat> Uh, brew that might some might be a good alcoholic beverage, but um, mm-hmm. are you saying that the at least in the last few years the the in the refrigerated beverage case where I buy a kombucha that there's a there's a good chance that has an alcohol content that's above that's that would define it as an alcoholic beverage. Unfortunately, yes, and huh. now there are definitely strides being made in yeah. um, research, and in fact. We have a verified non-alcoholic kombucha um, mm-hmm. because we've invested heavily in our brewing process, and we truly understand the brew inside and out. We know how to control, um, how to better control the alcohol um, percentages. Um, but a lot of people, you know, a lot of these kombucha breweries are popping up all over the country, and they um, are being started by normal people and people who don't necessarily have a chemistry background or people who don't have a microbiology background or a brewing background even. So, um, so that's why we're having yeah, some issues yeah. with that. And then, and then just a, a last product question, the, the, when it, when it's brewed, so I can imagine a fermenting tank of some kind, and then you have this liquid mm-hmm. that comes out and mm-hmm. what, what kind of blending and modifications are made after fermenting, is there a filtration process? Is are you adding flavorings? What do you do before it goes in the can? Mm-hmm. So for at Better Booch, we don't add any type of extra flavoring um, after it's been fermented. Our uh, our brews are flavored only by teas, herbs, and botanicals. So mm-hmm. the extraction that we get in the brewing process from the teas them, themselves and from the herbs themselves are what is in the bottle and in the can. Um, traditionally, you know, on the internet, there's a lot of blog articles about flavoring your kombucha with juices. And so a lot of companies yeah. have opted to do it that way. But that's where you do start to get into trouble with, you know, you're adding a lot of sugar and sugar incentivizes yeast to grow and yeast produces alcohol. So as you can see, it kind of is a chain reaction to a slippery slope to an alcoholic beverage. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And then what's the... This has been a great tutorial on kombucha. Now let's just sharpen it a little bit and tell us why. Give us the three or four points as to why better booch is better booch. Sure, sure. Um, So first of all, we have um, some of the lowest sugar uh, on the market at five grams of serving. Mm -hmm. And um, we also also brew using a single um, batch approach. So we... um, 
we brew each flavor individually. So rather than brewing a giant vat of black tea, say, mm. we and then you know dividing that up in, by using juices to flavor or powders or flavoring to flavor or whatever other people do, um, we brew each batch in its own tank. Um, so Ginger Boost gets its own tank, Golden Pear gets its own tank, and that's because we use uh, we use different teas based on what type of flavor we want to extract. All right. So, so Ashley, I, I went to your LinkedIn, I looked at your background, and I said, oh, it's totally obvious. You were a background <laughs> singer for Rihanna for seven years, and then that must have led you directly into the, into the kombucha business. So Straight tell us... the arms of the beverage business. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about your crazy journey and how you, how you got into this. Sure, sure. So... Yeah, so I was a touring musician, and actually so was my partner, Trey. Um, and as you can imagine, not a super healthy lifestyle, a lot of late nights, a lot of travel, not a ton of access to fresh, healthy food. Um, and so I kind of quickly realized that it wasn't a long-term um, option for, for me as far as career goes. Um, and he kind of came to the same conclusion apart from me. We didn't know each other at the time. And... Um, so we had made this decision to transition off of the road and to to be in town and be able to create music and create in town. And um, we realized that we needed something to um, that we needed that we wanted to get behind. Um, and at the time, uh, Trey's sister had actually been diagnosed with breast cancer. She was 24 at the time, which wow. um, is so young. And um, at the time, kombucha was well-known in the cancer community because of the um, anti-cancerous properties that I mentioned uh, before with the Cornell study. And so we started brewing it at home, and um, we were experimenting with different teas and different flavor profiles, and we thought, gosh, this is way better than what we can get at the store. Um, you know, there wasn't a ton of innovation with flavor um, and options at the time. And so um, we felt passionately that kombucha was very, very good for you and could um, change people's lives. And we thought that a lot more people would probably drink it if they knew that it could taste as great as ours tasted. And so we started bottling it and selling it at farmer's markets. And hmm. that's really how we began Wow! and kind of went out from there. Yeah. And then what, what at, at some point, how did you know that this was a real business and that you should quit your jobs and, and, uh, and make this what you do? Yeah. So, um, pretty quickly, actually, we, we, um, started at the, at the day that we launched at our first farmer's market, we also picked up our first grocery chain wow. and that was Lassen's in LA. It's a 13 store chain. So not, not a ton of stores, but at the time we were very excited. Um, and this was, actually, remind us, sorry to interrupt, remind us what mm -hmm. year this was. Yeah, this was 2011. Yeah, so this is before kombucha is really happening in a big way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I see. Okay, yeah. Yeah, end of 2011, early 2012 is when we um, launched Butter Booch. And, um, and yeah, there was really only one main um, brand that was out there and kind of dominating and the market. And um, we hope to create something that was a little more friendly and approachable um, to a broader audience. All right. And we so, found yeah. Uh, yeah, that that resonated quickly with people. And so um, we were able to pick up, we, we got into 50 doors, um, wholesale doors pretty quickly, in addition to our farmer's markets. And that's when we kind of realized we were onto something. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Ashley Lockerbie, who's the co-founder and chief marketing officer at Better Booch. So, Ashley, that's, I would say, unusual in entrepreneurship, that, that mm -hmm. right out of the gate you get traction like that. But it's always nice when you've got the wind of your back with a macro trend like that. Mm -hmm. So how did you... How did what did you do next, and how did you? Because it, you've got to simultaneously uh, build distribution and at the same time manage supply. So how did you mm -hmm. do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd say um, early on, most of our um, problem solving was geared towards was really focusing on operations and yeah. how do we scale up, how do we meet this demand. And so we were playing a lot of uh, defense and, and putting out a lot of fires. And it was mm -hmm. um, just Trey and I, for a very long time, um, we were, you know, delivering out of our minivan uh, to hundreds of cases at a time. And um, and so I'd say the big um, turning point for us in those early days was bringing on a distributor mm. and outsourcing that side of the business to them. Um, which obviously freed us up to focus more on sales and marketing and to, um, and then another, at that point, um, another big decision that we made, which was scary and hard, um, was to pull out of the farmer's markets because mm. early on those farmer's markets, you know, that retail cash flow is what kept us going. Um, but it was, it, it's so time consuming and yeah. it's really labor intensive. And so it just became kind of, not worth it. And, um, it was scary because that was something that we had really like relied on in the past, but making that decision was a game changer because it just freed us up to focus on more offensive strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good lesson for our listeners that one of the critical challenges in entrepreneurship is once you do have your wind, the wind at your back and you've got opportunity, the, the, the critical skill is being able to focus and mm -hmm. and cutting off any source of revenue is of course really nerve-wracking but you it sounds like you did the right the right thing what yeah. what about the tell us about the production side did you keep that in-house and how did you think about that decision yes so we still uh produce and bottle everything brew and bottle in-house um and you know we have Certainly, a lot of our competitors co-pack, and um, we'd speak to our, our friends in the beverage industry who do co-pack, and um, man, your dollar sure stretches a lot farther when you are co-packing. Yeah. But um, with, a, with a product like kombucha, where it is so similar to beer or wine, where the, we feel that the expertise in the brewing process is something that really sets us apart. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the main reasons we wanted to keep it in-house, because we can quality control every step. And, um, you know, we're one of the only kombucha breweries that can really say that. Um, and so, um, and we also, because of our brewing process and the process that we've developed, we feel it's, um, valuable IP and we don't want to share that with anybody else yeah, either. So, yeah. so yeah. I won't ask you to describe the IP in detail, but give us a feel for what a kombucha brewery looks like. Does it, does it feel more like a winery with big stainless steel tanks or, mm -hmm. That's or exactly more like what we brew? In. Okay. All right. So, so you brew so in wine, brew in wine tanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yes. So they're there uh, and you load them. Yeah. OK. I think most people have been on a winery tour and mm-hmm. have seen 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 those tanks. Yeah. yeah and what's so the wine tanks yeah. are our wine tanks are jacketed. They they have temperature control. So because uh, the kombucha does uh, like um, it a little bit warmer to ferment. So we have them temperature controlled. And then as soon as it's ready, we cold crash it. And about how long does it take to brew? Uh, about between one and two weeks. Oh, wow. That's pretty long. It's longer than I would have mm-hmm. guessed. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so then, and then you have, and then you also have bottling equipment? Yes, we do. Wow. We have a canning line and a bottling line. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, about financing that. I mean, that's, of course, the appeal of, of co-packing that is working with a supplier who does that for you is that you don't have to make the capital investment. How did, mm-hmm. how did you swing that? How scary was it? And how did you actually pull it off? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was the scariest. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, I'm glad we did it because um, the operation we have now is, is so great and totally, um, totally worth it. So basically we bootstrapped it for the first probably four or five years. And then about two years ago, we, um, did a small friends and family round um, to purchase our bottling machine. Mm-hmm. And um, we, so we did that. And then um, we had a really, some really great retailer opportunities come on board. Um, and so about a year after we did that friends and family, we raised our seed round $2.5 million um, to, scale up a little bit more and take advantage of those opportunities. Um, we raised our seed round, uh, led by crush ventures, which is the venture arm of crush music and crush music is a music management company. They have, um, Sia and Lord and fallout boy and green day and a bunch of really great artists. Um, so we were really excited to partner with them. Now, was that a, was that a music industry connection for you or was it, did they, were they in food and beverage? Yeah, so um, they're in some CPG, they're in some tech, um, but we came, we were introduced to them because of a music industry connection. Hmm. Interesting. So, and, yeah, full circle. Yeah, and, and and tell us a little bit about what the landscape is in in beverage right now. What's going on in the in the landscape, and and how are investors looking at it, and what do you see as the opportunities? Hmm. Yeah, so um, beverage as a whole is a really great place to be right now. I think there's a lot of um, really cool and exciting innovation. I think um, people are really excited about CP- about um, CBD starting to come online. And mm-hmm. um, as we all know, um, hard kombucha and, um, and tonics with alcohol in them have really been uh, like sparkling alcoholic drinks have really been um, taking off. And I think that I, this idea of a better for you fill in the blank is mm-hmm. something that um, a lot of people are focusing on. And that's why, you know, kombucha I think has done so well over the past um, really like decade and will continue to do well. I mean, kombucha is taking market share from sodas um, more and more every day. And, it's just a really exciting industry to be a part of. Yeah. And so does that mean that I, I actually walked over, I have a convenience store across the street. Unfortunately, they didn't have your product uh, oh. here in my local San Francisco store, but I did notice it is a, 
it's a wild west, man. There's like 20 mm -hmm. brands out there. And I wondered how many of those brands, if you look in the fine print, are owned by Coke or something. Or have they started to be aggregated and, and, and bought up by the beverage companies? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, Coke and Pepsi and Pete's Coffee and um, they all have stake or own um, kombucha companies. Um, so, yes, absolutely. There is actually probably five of the main brands are owned by Coke, Pepsi wow. or Pete's. Yeah. Wow. So I guess that leads to a, a strategic question for a brand mm -hmm. like yours, which is... Mm -hmm. You customers probably resonate with the idea of your story and authenticity and farmer's market and mm. regional and all that. Um, on the mm. other hand, you want to build something that's valuable enough that some global player is perceives it as, as valuable. How, how did you how do you manage that tension or do you think about that? Oh, my gosh. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I think you manage that by, by having a strong set of core values and sticking to those core values um, in your brand messaging and in the things that your brand does in the world and the space you take up in the world. Um, you know, so that's how we handle the authenticity side of it. And then um, I truly think that the consumer is moving more towards um, authentic, um, socially aware brands. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we can... Um, you know, stick to that. We're, we're, it's resonating. I mean, it's working since May last year, we've seen 30% month over month growth. Our, our cans are 200% up from 2019. Um, so, or in 2019. So, you know, we're seeing that it's, it's definitely working. And, um, and I think we can, maintain, you know, there's plenty of really huge, amazing companies that are doing great things in the world. You know, Patagonia comes to mind and, mm -hmm. um, and there's tons of great companies that are, that are ethical, but also huge. And that's what we aim to be. Yeah. But those are, uh, Patagonia isn't owned by Walmart, right? So, you know, right. that seems like the tension and mm -hmm. yeah. But it's it's I, I really liked your answer that it starts with the brand promise. And even if it even if you were owned by Coke, if you delivered on the brand promise at the end of mm -hmm. the day, that's what the consumer really, really cares about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Ashley, this is a fantastic story. And I, I love my food and beverage entrepreneurs because it's just these are such interesting and relatable stories. So thanks so much for for making the time and for joining us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Great fun. All right. So you can check out Better Booch at better, B-O-O-C-H dot com, betterbooch.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.